G'day guys, welcome to episode 8 of Full Metal Movie Reviews. Tonight we'll be talking about Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. With me is Davo. Davo, how are you bud? Yeah, not too bad mate, yourself? Really, really good. For once, I'm going to do... That was a massive pause there. Uh, (laughs) Are you sure you're right or... (laughs) Well, yeah... Yeah, I'm, I'm great. Tonight we'll be doing a uh, contemplating a movie. that answer, or tonight we'll be doing a movie that uh, I'm looking forward to. So, how long have you been looking forward to it? Probably since May. Mm, when did the first yeah. trailer come out? Uh, I agree. Uh, it was a little while ago. It came out when we were watching Wonder Woman, and I remember that's when I was like, uh, "Finally, there's actually." There might be a half decent movie release coming up soon. Probably been looking forward to it since then. Yeah, I was gonna say, well, you know, thank God you actually went to see a movie for once. Um, been missing in action past couple <laughs> of weeks. That's all right. Yeah. Oh, well, that's that's what happens when you live in a, a major metropolitan city where there are activities and things to do. <laughs> we get it. We get it that this podcast is uh, low on your list of priorities. We understand that. I actually want to take a minute to set the movie up in terms of um, some historical information, I think that needs to be relayed a bit more than it has been because a lot of movie reviews and YouTubers don't actually seem to understand the context of which the film is set in. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Like, there's, there's a couple that actually said that this was American soldiers. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fuck, people are retarded, man. Okay, so just yeah. very, very quickly... And I'll try to be as succinct as possible. So Germany invades Poland, and France and England retaliate by declaring war on Germany. Okay? The problem is that the Belgium are technically neutral in this confrontation, so the English have to set up their defensive line on the French-Belgium border, and the French army set up their defensive line on the French-German border, the Marginaux line. I think it's called... I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm butchering the pronunciation. It's a French name. And long story short, to this two German armies, German Army Group A, they invade Holland uh, and Belgium, and German Army Group B. And this group, this army group consists mainly of tanks and um, armoured vehicles. They bypass the Marginaux line, where the French army are, and go through the Ardennes Forest which the French believe to be too dense, too hilly for tanks to actually penetrate. The Germans do it. They swing around, head straight for the channel, um, and basically blitz through and cut off the British forces from the French. Um, And then Army Group A knocks out the Netherlands, and basically the British forces on the French borderline are being surrounded by Army Group B to the south and Army Group A to the north. And, they fit, and the two German army groups form link up and encircle the British army um, pretty much at Dunkirk. Churchill, the Prime Minister of England at the time, um, creates Operation Dynamo, which is designed to ferry the British army back off the continent, back into England. And he estimates that they can save 45,000 soldiers, right? That's 45,000 of 400,000. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, but then a few things kind of go the British way in the sense that um, Hitler still had to contend with the French army behind Army Group B. So he did send a lot of tanks south to knock out that army and also to seize Paris because I imagine Paris would be a better prize than, you know, capturing Dunkirk. And also he was given reassurances by his air force that they could effectively bomb and and destroy the, the English army on the beaches because they had no essentially no cover. What went in the English way was that there was a lot of cloud cover on some of the days so that the the, the, the um, German German Air Force couldn't actually fly and they had low visibility, so that provided some protection. But what, what else really saved the day was the fact that 
English Navy seized a lot of small vessels to ferry men off of the beaches to the destroyers. Basically, to get a good context of this film, the film starts, I'll say, probably the halfway point of the evacuation, where they've managed to get about around 10, I would assume 10 to 10,000, 10 to 12,000, apologies, 10 to 12,000 soldiers off of the beach. But they're basically complaining that the beach itself is too shallow and they don't have enough small boats to get the rest of the men off. So they're in a predicament. So that's where we are in terms of the movie. The English army is well and truly surrounded. They establish a perimeter in Dunkirk, but they have very little hope of getting the majority of their men off. And that's where we start at the movie. Just before, uh, World War Two would have ended very differently if um, Hitler had successfully wiped out the 400,000 soldiers that were on that beat. So it would have actually been a major turning point. So it's kind of, it, it, it is quite a significant event when it comes down to luck and a few things happening because in, the English didn't really have any, um, like this was there, they needed to get these guys back yep. because after they got them back, they actually had troops um, to assist with the D-Day and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah. But and, got, yeah, yeah. And it's also important to note that this was the British army, so 450,000 is a lot of people, right? But when you actually compare it to the German army, I think, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to be wrong, but it's... It, it's uh, 800,000, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's like almost double the size in terms of manpower and soldier and feet on the ground. So... It's a two-to-one sitch. Yeah, so that's what I wanted. I just wanted to yeah. set where we are. So basically, we're at, we're at the very beginning or I think day one or day two of the evacuation where they've only just figured out that it's too shallow for the big boats to come in. So they're starting to use a, a sea break or like a jetty. I guess I think they call it a mall. Do they call it the a mall? mall? Yeah. They call it the mall, yeah. The mall. And basically what that is is a long pier, a long jetty that goes right out into the ocean, um, which allows... A channel. A channel, exactly. It's a channel. Yep. And it allows deeper boats or and destroyers to come in and then they can load up the um, soldiers and then obviously depart. So that's oh, where- and just channel isn't that large. <laughs> like people swim across it. Yes. As in, it, you need to be an endurance swimmer, and you need a lot of support and stuff. But in the context of ships moving across it, it, it it's not like it's going to take four days for ships to get there and back. Um, just a bit of geography. Yeah, yeah. and on that but point. <laughs> we don't seem we don't be seeing patronising, but on that point, the the movie does take place in a spate of hours because the the boats leave in the morning and they actually come back at night, so it's a day trip. Actually, Sam, and this is a point I guess of contention I'm going to have as we actually get into the movie mm. about that. It doesn't. It takes place over a day, over a week, over an hour. <laughs> So let's we'll get there. Okay. We'll get to that. Right, but enough. yeah, but yeah, go on, go on. Let's all right. Maybe we, let's kick it off. Go and uh, Dunkirk. And Dunkirk. We open up yeah. with I think a very um a very picturesque town of Dunkirk. Very bright, bold colours. Some um British soldiers walking through the town. I don't know really what they're doing because it's implied that they're maybe on patrol, but they weren't. They're just kind of cruising around, not really paying attention to much. And I would have thought if they're on the perimeter, you know. They'd have a bit more of an attention span as the rest of the surroundings. But they come under fire, and one soldier survives, and he runs onto the beach, and you see the, the scale and the scope of this operation. There's literally hundreds of thousands of, of soldiers just sitting on or standing in formation on this beach, waiting to depart. From, from the first minute we see that guy try and run away from the Germans, and he lands on that beach, 
it gives us an hour and a half of just non-stop, I guess, phobia or paranoia moment to the next. It just keeps rolling on. It and it's and it's. I just feel okay. I get what you're saying with the timing of. Well, it doesn't really add up. Maybe it doesn't, but who cares? I I just enjoyed is the next scenario if that makes sense. So I guess just for a bit of clarity, um, the the thing that burns me right. So I, there's not really much to talk about story wise. Like no. It's, Guys trying to get off, and it's Nolan portraying the th- there's three core um, stories, right? There's yep. the soldier yep. that we're introduced to at the start, whose timeline takes o- is over the course of a week. Yeah. There's the dad on the boat in the civilian boat, that's timeline takes the course of a day. And then there's the badass Tom Hardy in a Spitfire that takes course over the last hour. So we've got the last hour, the last day, and what would could be considered one of the last weeks. Yep. So the the film to to sum it up is just about those dudes getting off. So we can talk about the cinematography and everything, and I totally agree. I thought it was shot awesome. Like Nolan knows how to shoot a good film, and I thought it was really stylized and probably something we'll talk about a bit later as well, like the audio and, and his use mm. of um like freaking the shit out of people with the planes that were coming in and stuff like that like really good i thought that was awesome so it was a good experience but that timeline thing i just it was a burn like i really wish that someone had seen it before me and had just sat down and said oh before you go in and see this be really conscious of those first fucking little subtitled texts that come up on the screen that say you know one day one week one hour because it wasn't until halfway through that I, it all clicked what was actually happening. Mm. And the problem is with things like war films set in that era and using that color palette is everything looks the same. So, you know, skinny white dudes with black hair and you've got hundreds of thousands of them, it was actually a little bit difficult to track. Um, not the dude and his, um, his mate with the curly hair that wouldn't say anything. Like those two were pretty easy. But that other peripheral group that you didn't really get to see much of, it was difficult to track who was who. Yes. And you had one guy that seemed like he was an okay dude and then turned out to be an asshole. And you're saying, wait, is that the same guy that they helped out earlier? So there was a bit of there was a bit of that. But it's just I found that that time that that weird sequencing was really jarring. You know, day, in? night, day. Of course, go. Yeah. So I don't want to over talk, but I think just to your point about being hard to identify um, who was who, I reckon that was almost done on purpose to to make it seem like um, because all of these guys pretty much were sort of similar height, very pale, skinny, you know, um, brown hair. I think that was maybe done to a point just to I would say he used real people, and I think he kind of just typecast the same people so he could swap, swap them out in and out, if that made sense. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, man. I, I thought you were going to give me some really like, oh, cool artistic. No. So I think Nolan was trying to like remove the face of the military so that you could see that this was every man's story <laughs> and not just the characters of this film. That no. would have been a better bullshit line, man. I would no. have swallowed that. I almost would have swallowed that. No, because he, he, I was listening to some interviews he did and he basically said, because we didn't use CGI, we had a lot of the guys on the beach were actually cardboard cutouts. 
and we had to do, <laughs> <laughs> and I had to and I had to reuse a lot of the extras. So that's why I think they kind of <laughs> cast the same people because it's an old movie trick, right? And they, they and they just reuse the same extras for the, the different scenes. That's gold. That's true. I believe that. I fucking totally buy that. Um, totally buy that. But then make make the guys that you are focusing on stand out more. Mm. Like have one of them have like a shaved head or some shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Just make, just make one of those guys just stand out a little bit more, especially when there's so many dark scenes. Um, and then the rest, yeah, one hundred percent. That sounds like it would have been yeah, a pretty solid play. Well, guess what, listeners? We got to we actually got to dial in. Long time listener, first time caller. Yeah, let's just add him. To, let's add him to the group. Yo, here he is. Okay, listeners, Rob. How are you, Rob? Yeah, not too bad. We're um, we're just getting some initial thoughts down on the movie. I, d- I just gave everybody a brief rundown of the history of uh, how Dunkirk actually evol- evolved, and um, we're just going through some of our first thoughts. So, what are, what are your first thoughts of the? Uh, of, of- really good. It's definitely a movie that I want to see immediately again, because of uh, some layering and uh, uh, the, the way that the stuff all came together. Definitely want to go see it all again. Do you want to elaborate on stuff? <laughs> like, uh, um, like various things um, that happened <laughs> in the movie. Um, obviously, like Sandy-related stuff on the beach and uh, <laughs> watery-related stuff in the water. No, you know, like it was like four or five different. No, I mean maybe maybe three core elements of the movie, but then there was maybe four or five key characters um, that you're sort of invested in, and then you get you you tend to get more of a perspective from all the characters as the movie goes on. Because at the start, it's like you just you're just getting used to the situation they're in, but then you figure out halfway through the movie that um, stuff isn't really happening in real time in each scene. It's like you're, you've seen a little bit clue to what's going to happen in another perspective. See, that shits me. I was just talking about that with Sam. Like that was probably that was the biggest gripe I have is that I wish that was he like in hindsight it was clear like he states it in the screen above but you're already like trying to get engrossed in all the detail that's going on that when that stuff starts coming up it's it's not like you ignore it but you're just not sure what he means by that the context of that and then to work it out halfway through like I feel like I lost something by not being fully aware of it at the start. Uh, I I did find it, I did kind of lose my place in the film where Harry Styles and the other four or the other three guys of that of that group they they're on that crawler and it's at night and I was like I was kind of a bit lost when does the night scene happen? But then I kind of just. Didn't worry about it. I just let it go. If that made sense, I was like, yeah. "Oh yeah, that's that's the first the first clue I had that there was multiple perspectives was the fact that one of them was dark and then they kept on going back to daylight." Yeah, it's, it's essentially just off the coast of. Uh, that's what yeah. I mean. So that's your first clue, even though he mm. clearly states it in text at the start. Actually, reads that, and I'm not it? trying to trigger you. I'm not trying to trigger you, but I'm being serious. Like in that, that's how. That's how over everyone's head, because he clearly intends for you to be aware of it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put that in the text at the start of the film. Mm. I'm just saying it was a really ineffective way to sort of um, lead you to, to sort of really grasp that. And it isn't until right like at that halfway point when you actually say, oh, shit, I have seen this scene from a different perspective. Mm. And by then, it's kind of like, fuck, I wish I had been really aware of that right from the start. Do you know what I mean? Yep. 
Um, it didn't really throw me off too much, but uh, um, I I, I want to watch it again because uh, because of that. There's there's more layers, I guess. But um, I, I I mean I could say the same thing about Godfather or about um, other really good movies out there because um, not to say that they're the same. You know, okay, Pulp Fiction's an example of one as well, with different things coming together. Um, the fact that you watch it again to get a good idea of the movie, I don't think detracts from it. Yeah, but those are generally quite stark and different storylines and scenes, whereas there's nothing separating these three other than that predisposed like time frame because mm-hmm. they're all in the exact same situation, just from a slightly different perspective. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, anyway, it, it is my only like real gripe. But something else you pointed out about sort of getting deep on or the connection with the characters, and it, it's going to start to sound like I didn't like the film, but I did like the film. But something that I probably found, I didn't really connect with any of the characters other than the um, the, the the dad on the boat, oh. uh, whatever his name is. Oh, I, I, all right. like, oh. Not even Tom Hardy's character? Well, how, how can you... All I saw was Tom Hardy being a badass in a plane, which I thought was awesome. But there was no, like... I get it. He's he's got balls, man. The guy ran a fuel tank to death. Like, and it was cool. Like, that was great. Like, what a baller just to like fly around and glide and shit and be like, yeah, I'm still gonna kick some fucking Jerry. I reckon. Ass, but- I reckon there was some really good development there, but they were all subtle, subtle things. Um, I, Dave, I, to your point though, I just want to make. Uh, why would you think that bringing a kid? I know he jumps on the boat, but that that. That neighbor, his son's. Friend. Oh, that George. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that. That added nothing for me. No, I hated like, that point. Yeah. I hated. I hated. I get the, the. He wants to be patriotic and he wants to help, but he's only. A, he's just a schoolboy, but he's. He was just annoying, and he spoke really slowly. Oh. And I just found his his, his his the scenes dedicated to him just annoyed me for some reason. But yeah, I think him, I, I I do think that like it's not. You have to go out of your way to get your head hit, and if you fall from that flight at that that height of sta- stairs, <laughs> yeah. if you know what I mean. So it's like, what the, f- you know, he was, put he your was, fucking hands out, dude. <laughs> he was only he was only there for that soldier to kill him. Mm. That's the only reason why that character was there, man. But so not- that you had that shell shock, dude. Mm. Like it was for that, of which there was no payoff. No, I was because about to say that. Yep. It, it's not even like he saw the body coming off at the end. And flip out or like, oh, Jesus, I'm a shit dude. Or like the payoff was actually for the blonde head kid to be like, he's going to be okay. Right? To yeah. like wear the grief for the soldier, which I found was like, all right, man, I think you're trying to cram too much in here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that, that all said, like, how do you like, you know how sometimes people have those iconic roles that really ruin their, uh, their characters and the next thing you see them in? Unless it's obviously like a well-established character that's insulated from that, but I, I, I forget how his, his name—the guy from uh, *Peaky Blinders*, Killian Murphy or whatever. Yep, Killian Murphy. That's him. Um, I fucking hate him now after that after that role. Like, what an ass! Like, he played he played a jerk, a, a jerk that's just been shot down really well. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not just a guy getting shot down and like he's like all rattled and stuff. He, that guy was a jerk before he joined that war. Um. I think that uh, he wasn't shot down, man. It wasn't he on a boat. Yeah, he was on a boat. Was he yeah. on a boat or was he on a? No, no, he was on a boat, man. Okay. His boat got sunk by U-boats. Yeah. Like, he oh, was that's just right. Yeah, last yeah. survivor. 
so, so whatever, whatever, right? Like, like he he was a jerk when he got onto that boat that morning, and when he put on that put on that uniform, you know, like uh, that that character, he 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 took it to a new level of self centeredness, self centered jerk, I would say, because you yeah, know, everyone I, was in a hero vibe, in a hero. No, nah, no way, man! Like the dudes at the end wanting to um, sacrifice one that Frenchie. Like, how jerky is that? It's like, oh, this is the cost of survival that you have to pay. And it's like, everyone's aware this boat's going down, whether or not you lose a 55-kilo or 65-kilo dude. Uh, I mean, like, I mean, on that, on that, uh, the civilian boat. storyline. Mm. Yeah, true. I, yeah. But, I, I mean, I guess, with as far as the character development goes, though, I mean, that the dad and the blonde-haired kid, I thought were... They were effectively developed in the subtle way, like he was trying to do with the others, but you also got a lot more to it. And then right at the end where the down pilot's like, fuck, how do you know all that? Right? And he's like, oh, my son's in the RAF. And then he turns to the other one and he's like, oh, okay, I didn't know. Like, you're like puzzled? Like, oh, you're in the RAF? He's like, nah, my brother. And he died like two weeks in. Like it added like the personal sacrifice that that family was committing and mm. to the fact that they were being like, nah, we're going to go take our own boat and go fucking pick up those soldiers ourselves as well. Like, you can tell they've sacrificed for that their had, country. They had some yep. skin in the game. Massive, massive yeah. skin in the game. Um, I, yeah, would the say, I would say that the, I reckon the one character that had the, probably the biggest character development would be, I can't remember his name in the movie, but Harry Styles. Do you guys know who that is? The guy from One Direction? He was no. the... Uh, he was the one that... Uh, he was the one that was in the boat where they meet where they meet up and they become a, a threesome. So mm-hmm. you know the French guy and the blonde hair guys. Yeah, the blonde. Yeah, it's I, I, yeah, you, yeah. They don't speak a lot, and there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie, so you don't actually have a good chance to catch. I don't even think they say their names. That's the big problem in this film. But it, he's the one that when they go onto that medic boat and he they meet up and they become a threesome. So the third guy to join that crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he was the one that yep. was willing to sacrifice. Him. Yeah, yeah, and that so he basically wanted to oust the French guy, even though that they had been through all that previously. And then when he eventually does get does get home to England, he feels ashamed because he realised, oh well, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't achieve anything other than survive. So I thought he was the one that got the beer through the uh, through the window. Is yeah, it? yes, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was an interesting perspective of how. He was instantly ashamed of his actions, and when but these people were willing to you know show their gratitude for what he did, if that makes sense, he had a bit of guilt as well. Mm. And so he should have though. The guy was an asshole. Like mm. everyone was in. I get it. It's a shit. You're in, you're surviving for your life, so it's literally rats on a ship. Everyone's trying to get out, and in his mind at the time, and soldiers will go through crazy actually the good thing about this film is that you know how in america like america specifically at the moment like you can't say one bad word about a soldier because it's a fucking american hero man it's a fucking hero yep but in this film he didn't treat any of the soldiers like heroes other than tom hardy yep who was a clear fucking hero but all the other dudes that were in that shit situation that just had to survive were all like morally compromised in some fashion, and he, yeah, I he, I think he should have felt guilt, and a lot of them probably would have. Which, at the same time, you have to ask yourself: Is it fair that they did? Because obviously, everyone back home understood because of World War One, like the garbage situation their kids were in. 
Mm. And um, that's why I guess they're all uh, celebrating when they came home. Well, it was like... Because he was like... Didn't, yeah, he said he thought he was going to get spat at. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it was like they were almost justifying his actions in a sense because it's like, well, you survived and that's the main thing because we need you to keep fighting. So <laughs> it's almost like there's he instantly, as soon as he saw the, the cliffs and he was on the train in in the UK, he was just couldn't look people in the eye because he obviously had a lot of guilt towards the actions that he, he did and he pretty much condemned that French... But I, I think the death. fact that they lost, right, as well, they were in retreating mode as well, yes. I think that was uh, heavy on him as well. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe... Yeah. Okay, so we'll talk about the three aspects of the film. So the film has three perspectives, really. Um, the soldiers, uh, the civilians on the boat trying to retrieve the soldiers off the beach, and um, I guess a, sub, a, a third section uh, about Tom Hardy and the Air Force and their involvement in, in the confrontation. So it's made pretty clear at the upset that the uh, English heads-to-be, Churchill, as I said earlier in this podcast, would only commit to, or only projected to save 45,000 um, troops. So they're already committed to losing pretty much the whole entire army. Mm-hmm. And as such, they weren't committed to to allocating resources to the retreat. So the cruisers and destroyers and their Spitfire planes were all kind of being kept, the majority of them were being kept at home to fight off the upcoming invasion of the UK. So well, a potential invasion. Well, they didn't even know that they, they were going to get invaded. They would assume that they would get invaded at some stage, given the yeah. way the war's going. So it's all doom and gloom. So well, let's maybe talk about the soldier's survival. So I, I, I thought that the one thing I really liked about their story is that never, not once we actually... Did you actually de- was it depicted that they were in confront like the confrontation with the enemy? They the enemy was always hidden and not seen. They always get shot at from unseen um, sources, and I thought that really gave a heightened sense of dread because you just don't know when you're going to die. Faceless enemy. Mm. What did you guys think? Yeah, like you only really saw them at the end with the, when they captured Hard- Tom Hardy. Yeah. 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 Mm. Actually, can I ask you something, uh, Rob? Mm. Um, being uh, an individual of a German uh, descent, mm-hmm. does it like is it refreshing to see a film where historically we understand the Germans were on one side, but they're not depicted as all being like an evil uh, super monster that's come to kill everyone. Like that's there's why... an element of just taking a step back from that and removing. Do you know what I mean? Like your faceless enemy type thing. There's this, yeah, a significant uh, thing I liked about the movie was the fact that. Uh... They sort of told a story without shitting on a, an enemy, if you know, like a, a shitting on a country, because um, you would, you would like, I, f- I felt like that was a, a movie about um, a squabble between two Western nations, uh, and and it wasn't like characterizing one net Western nation over the other, if you know what I mean. So it was, it was just telling a battle about the story, uh, the, the the story about the battle itself instead of um, two two sides. Um, even obviously, of course, everyone knows that there was two sides to it, but they did their best to sort of um, remove that aspect of it. And I really like that, to be honest. It was good. Yeah, I, I thought it was good because it not only did it like it, it kind of told the story that it, it almost didn't even matter like who was shooting at him, right? Like yeah. when and, and you probably notice it. It's the most confronting at the start of the film, and mm-hmm. then you notice it later when you haven't seen anyone. 
Mm-hmm. But like right at the start when he's running um, and his entire squad gets mowed down, mm-hmm. you never see who shoots him. Yep. Right? It's just bullets flying through fucking walls and shit and he just drops that gun and runs. And it's it, like, who gives a fuck who's pulling that trigger, man? Like, if it's you, you're running, right? Yeah. It, it concentrated uh, the feeling in the movie, I think, yep. on um, on the the uh, the fact that they had to get at, that they were sort of in a hopeless situation where they were all going to die unless something some miracle happened. And yeah. and that's and that's a really good point because you, for every time these guys are under threat, you never see the attack coming. You just you just waiting, you're just waiting, all right, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? So they there's two times or, or three times they try to escape on boat. The first being a, a torpedo and I will say it's very uh very German like to torpedo a boat that has the Red Cross symbol, but that's not <laughs> another hero there. <neither. laughs> but there's, they torpedo that. That's boat. why I didn't show them, man. That's why I didn't show who the enemy was, Sam. For that sort of bullshit, man. And the second time, the uh, destroyer. Now, sorry, the destroyer gets torpedoed. And did, then did the did the boat actually have a Red Cross on it? You're just throwing that in with poetic license. <laughs> Uh, no, it did. <laughs> no, it did. It did. It did. Okay. It did. But no, it was bombed, Sam. It wasn't torpedoed. I'm pretty sure it was oh, bombed. Okay, so the second one was bombed. Um, no, no, no. The first one was bombed, and the second one was no, torpedoed. No, no, no yeah. way. They got torpedoed at night time. Oh, did they get torpedoed they at night time? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. at oh, night time okay. was a U-boat torpedo. Okay, yep. apologies. So there's a bomb, a torpedo, and then the third time they're hiding in, in a beached uh, crawler, and the Germans are just doing pop shots at them. And then that pretty much the volume of shots sinks the boat with all the holes. So you actually never once see. You're just kind of waiting when, and and all the whole time you're on the edge of your seat, going, "Oh Jesus Christ, when is this going to happen?" Do, do you guys <laughs> think that, like, just te- technically about the movie, do you think that the suspense was really well done? Oh, phenomenal! Because I I I I thought like uh, it it was kind of like um uh. It's it. I, I loved it, but it should have been cheesy because it was sort of a repetitive repeat of the same music, same situation constantly. Mm-hmm. And you knew that because the last three four times they'd get through it, right? But it, I, I every time I was just like, wow, this is oh my god, what, what are we? And I was looking at people in the cinema and stuff, and they all had like a, a gesture of of the same sort of thing where <laughs> oh shit, hands on mouths and stuff. Yeah. Or, I, I thought it was well done. I had my hand in my mouth a couple of times, and a couple of times, oh, Jesus. Like, the, the one time that, okay, so the, the third time we're on that crawler, and they're all just waiting for the tide to come in, and you just see this ding, you just see this ding, ding, and then these holes and, and these rays of light coming through the hole, and it's obviously the Germans just, just, just having pop shots at the crawler for fun. You're like, oh, far out. And they realize that they're trapped because they can't leave the boat because they will definitely die. But all the, all the best hope they have is to try and survive what's going on, not make any sound, and hopefully when the tide comes in, they can get the boat out. And it was like literally these guys are watching or – it's hard to explain, but it's like it's like a metaphor that they're actually just watching their own death unfold, if that makes sense. Mm. Waiting for yeah. the inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I actually, I actually found it exhausting – man, all of that, because their situation just kept getting shittier, right? <laughs> yeah, it was I did like, find it, it went exhausting as well. Once, yeah, one, sh- one shitty situation to another, and you're just like, fuck, man, like, I know these guys can't get off, and it's just getting worse and worse every time they try. But, but um, I, I, I mean, it is an exhausting situation for them, right? Oh, so yeah, it's like, yeah, the, fact, the fact that you're, you're exhausted from watching it, 
that that's that's a pretty good sort of communication to you of the situation through feeling, I guess. Mm. Yeah, um, totally agree. I, so, okay. yeah. How about this? I'm gonna put this to you guys. Would you argue that the the soldier's perspective isn't isn't really a war movie? Well, okay, it is a war movie, but it's more like a thr- thriller slash slash like sort of suspense movie, but set in a war setting. If that makes sense. Uh-huh. Because it's not a conventional nah, war film. Nah, but it's not a conventional war film, but it did effectively portray conventional war. Okay. So, I mean, it, there, there was no superhero fucking moves, man. Like, the most superhero it got was the French dude opening the, um, the door to the galley before he jumped off and those two soldiers seeing the light and swimming out. Like, it, mm. it wasn't crazy unrealistic. It was all... Yeah, this is probably how those do were at that time, getting smashed left, yep. right, and center. Didn't didn't you just line. know, like when they're all eating their jam uh, toast with tea? <laughs> didn't you didn't you just know, like, I, I, I when I was like watching that scene, I was like, man, there's so many people down there. When they closed the door on them and rotated the thing, it's like I I I just sort of expected that that would go down at some point because well, it was almost. Too, right? The, friend, mm. and the, the, the blonde guy asked, he goes, oh, where's your friend? And he goes, mm. oh, he's making sure he's got a way out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the so, French dude's like waiting for it. Like he just knows it's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Actually, yeah. this one for you though. Yes. The French dude, right? Now, we know that Nolan wasn't scared to make the characters look like assholes, okay? Yeah. The French, when that twist comes that he's actually a French soldier in an Englishman's uniform, and he hasn't been speaking, and that's why. What do you guys think? Do you think he actually killed that soldier at the start, or do you think he found a body and stole the uniform ah. of the soldier? Um, I would assume he, he, he found the soldier. I mean, why would he be burying him? I guess because if he didn't have a uniform, it looked suspicious. But I would, I would assume he, he found a dead soldier, because to be honest, it wouldn't be that hard to find a, a dead body and just take the uniform true but i mean and maybe i'm thinking about this in way too much detail the fact that the uniform didn't have any bullet holes or mm. anything like that there was no blood on it Could and he was way off the beach right because the dude went to go take a shit and here's these guys not around any other soldier not around any other massive bodies not near the red cross uh where they were piling up the injured and dying just in an off june um I would say it's definitely definitely possible because the way that the way that they set that scene up and everything has so many questions associated, so, so many suspicious uh, questions. Yeah, but I would, I would say a guy who's willing to kill someone wouldn't take the time to then open up a hatch. He he wouldn't risk his own skin. He would just jump in the water. Like, what would he give a fuck? Nah, but that's uh, he, the thing is, man. He now has a connection to this other nah, dude. No right? way, no way, no because way. Because his mates. No. Nah. He's not mates. He's he's just trying to survive. He he knows that guy is. He needed a guy to catch this, another person to carry the stretcher, so that's why that's how they got to that point. But if it comes to to live or die, the dude's jumping off and leaving him behind. Was 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 Harrison Ford a replicant? I mean, we just never know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will be finding out later on this oh, year, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. So. Um, uh, yeah. I, 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 the one thing I want to comment. So the movie, Dave, you said it, mentioned it, and Rob, you said it. You kind of touched on this. It's the score of this film really um, goes hand in hand with the, the with the pretty much the film and, and heightening the tension. Yep. Um, and a lot of this score is actually a ticking sound, and it's like a bomb 
and it's like and it's like a subtle ticking sound you just hear and the movie kind of just plays over the top a ticking sound just plays over the top of the film and then and then it stops it goes silent and then disaster strikes and then there's a score that's what I was saying about how um, it, it should have been cheesy by like the fifth time. Yeah, but it, for some reason it wasn't. It was almost like uh, the simple the simple way of doing tension really really worked. Yeah, yeah, it did. It was like a stopwatch, right? Yeah, mm. it was like here's your sixty seconds of respite, and now you fucked again. I, I wonder. <laughs> I, I wonder if I wonder if there's any science there, like the 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 um, the tempo of the ticking, whether that like has some way of Heightening your uh, your reaction to it or something mm. like subconsciously. Really? I wonder if there's any science there because uh, I, I definitely like felt really nervous a few times in that movie, knowing uh, knowing the outcome, everything would be okay. They fucking get away, right? Mm. But still, like you know, you you know they're going to be okay at the end, but you're well, not all like, of them, right? Yeah, not all of them. A French guy dies, yeah. right? Yeah, French yeah, guy dies. But he's French. So. No, but I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, you know that uh, a significant amount of people make it across the channel, correct? And you sure, know, that at the end sure. of the day, people uh, uh, celebrate this as a as a miracle, basically. Mm. Um, so you know, generally speaking, that everything's going to be okay at the end of the movie, and you're going to see some people die along the way. But like, it's like, oh fuck, are they actually going to get on there? You're questioning that through the movie. Mm. Yeah. True. True. Uh, it, you know what? That's actually a good point. It's a way to add um, that element of everyone freaking out because people that have an idea about history are well aware that they actually managed to get the like three hundred odd thousand off that beach. Mm. So, like statistically, most of them should survive. So you should be like, okay, that's pretty herring, but they, we know they get off. Well, yeah. but you're right though, because it's like it is a freakish. You do think at any moment everyone's dying. It's a one mm-hmm. in four chance that, that that someone dies. So, um, okay, so maybe we'll skip on to the uh, second component of the film, the, the, of the perspective of the civilian um, f- yacht that's uh, being skippered by uh, a, an old man and his, well, not an old man, but a man middle-aged and his son and the son's uh, friend. Uh, I can't remember the name. George? What was the other dude's? George? George. Yeah, I don't remember the other yeah, characters, yeah. but I remember George. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to be on Front Street. So this is probably my least liked sort of um, perspective only because I couldn't understand what the old man was saying because he had such a fucking thick accent such a working <laughs> like he's just so he was like oh George you couldn't, George. You couldn't understand him? no way <laughs> wow <laughs> right, did you have I, a problem Dave? okay I Tom Hardy and him I found maybe 20% of the audio like muffled or I couldn't understand it but I, I could understand about 80% of it mm. Can I just ask you guys, as uh, people of Italian ancestry, whether <laughs> whether whether that pisses you off? That that. <laughs> well, I, 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 okay, I guess <laughs> they didn't make they didn't make concessions to the fact that, like, uh, you know, <laughs> couldn't stand it. Look, I man, couldn't stand it. I was, I, I brought up your history because I'm like, you know, I feel sorry for the young German kids that always get fucking thrown in their face every war film. That they're horrible, evil people. Well, right? they are. I'm just saying. Like, that's why I brought that up. <laughs> let's not, let's now, secondly, secondly, <laughs> no, but secondly, fucking, I, I don't know what it is about wasps and Anglo's and their fucking accents. But Sam's <laughs> right. Those working class dudes are actually pretty hard to understand if they're not articulating fucking words. And he definitely had a, a portion of what he was saying was inaudible. 
Like, mm. I would have needed subtitles. But I, I got most of it. Like, I reckon a good 80%. But I agree, Sam. It, it wasn't the easiest to understand. His son was fine, the blonde head kid. And even George yeah. was okay. But the old man, there's one scene where he just goes, Mah! and I was like, what the fuck was that sound? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't remember that. Jesus. Oh, I, I just couldn't understand it. Um, okay, so basically, very briefly, they answer the call because the Navy's um, acquisitioning all these small vessels. And he says, no, this is my boat. Oh, I'm going to skip her. And he gets on the boat. The kids come along and they're going to sail across the channel and do their part. And I guess it's uh, uh, along the way they pick up um, a sole survivor of a, of a transport ship that's been torpedoed, and he's just sitting on top of the uh, is it the rudder? I think he's sitting on top of the rudder, and he looks yeah, and he's shell shocked and he's completely um, dis- disorientated. And I guess it's about um, would you say that's kind of like the moral story or the or the obligation to do what's right, where you're literally going headfirst into disaster. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, the moral compass of the well, film. Someone, someone had, someone had to do it because the navy uh, didn't want to do it, right? Mm. So someone had to do, get them home, right? So no, they no, no. Their own hands. The navy did because they were requisitioning. So the navy were actually taking civilian boats out. The navy just didn't want to use their valuable ships. Yeah, to yeah, pick yeah. Up the cheap men. So these, this is where this guy was like, "Nah, fuck it. If anyone's going to take my boat out there to go save these guys, I'm, I'm going to be the one that takes it." Yeah, okay. Good so point. There's an element of, like, don't touch my car to it, of, yep. like, no one else is driving my boat. But at the same time, I think if you know, like, when there's the reveal of their kid was um, in it, it's kind of like it's their way of also fighting. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's the old man's chance to sort of also jump in and say, nah, man, we've got, you know, there's 400,000 other people's sons out there and we've got to try and do something to bring them back. Because this mm-hmm. war is everyone's fighting this war, not just the dudes on that beach. Yeah, there's no turning. What did he say? There's no turning away from it. Yeah, like, and he, to be honest, for an old guy, he was a bit of a sick cunt. To just be staring forward, and he's like just yelling out the fucking model number of the plane that's flying over. Mm. And he's like, "Yeah, it's a Rolls Royce." For blah blah blah. It's like, yeah, nice, nice work, dude. Yeah. So their story takes place over the day. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The last day. So they're the last, well, not the last. Well, yeah. So basically, they're so they're. Well, yeah, days. it's a day. It's a day. Whereas, ha- yeah. was the the soldier stories that that kind of takes place over a couple of days. I think you said a week, a week. but I'm not sure if it's a week. It's one week. It is one week. No, it is one week, one day, one hour. Okay, so yeah. um, that one day within that week, um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty literal linear sort of story. They they're leaving, some shit happens. And they go back. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of find it the weakest um, because um, it was generally. A, I think it was used as a tool to give us a bit of a respite from the soldiers' plight. And um, I guess, yeah, I guess it was just. I, I, I guess it kind of needed to be done because you couldn't. I don't know if anyone could handle 100, 130 minutes or sorry, 90 minutes of just just constant anxiety <laughs> but yeah yeah i agree it, it was definitely it was definitely the the hope element like yeah. all their shots was bright as yes. day like yeah. it was yeah. so fucking bright they were like um you know they were they were gonna go out and achieve something but i, I wouldn't say it was weak man like i do think there was actually a pretty strong um, like i think it was strong center point 
for like Hardy was obviously the action side, and he was your pure hero, like the the unfaith, like the no face hero type dude that represented like the glory aspect of war to an extent. And then you had the, that those guys that were how it affects the families and all that back home, and the mm. hope aspect of we're coming to the rescue. Like I think it definitely had its place, and I wouldn't undersell it as just a a break 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 storyline or a break point to break up the the action and suspense. Um. Okay. Maybe not being fair, but what I mean though, like just to you know quantify my comments, I mean it's probably so. If I say this film's a ten, this would be the weakest component of that 10, but it's still a 10. <laughs> 10 out of 10, you mean? Yeah, so it's still, it's still a very good very good piece of filmmaking that yeah, I enjoyed. Yeah, but do you reckon, um, do you reckon uh, the story would have worked if they didn't have a third perspective? No, that's what I'm saying. So mm. you needed that sort of grounded humanity um, just to kind of really get, make them a bit relatable because not everybody's a soldier, but then obviously everybody has a family. Well, most people have families, so... Um, that's what is, is kind of needed. Yeah, I think I think it definitely needed to be in there because there were it, it wasn't just the navy requis- requisitioning ships. A lot of people did yeah. take matters in their own hands. Yeah, in history, so that, that's the representing those guys. Um, so what do you think of? Uh, you, you mentioned his name before, Khaled. So you said he's pretty much a gutless sort of spy on Skype. But could you not? Did you not feel any sympathy for him? So they the, the guy they pick off. They pick up the sole survivor. I can't remember his name. I think he said his name is Callum something. I forgot it already. Um, he was, he's pretty much shell-shocked. Murphy, I think it was. Yeah. Mm. He's pretty much shell-shocked, and he doesn't want to go back to Dunkirk. Did you have any empathy for him? No. No? <laughs> oh, man. How can you... I, I did 100%, man, because that guy was just not in his right frame of mind. Like the thing is, he's he was the only survivor on whatever ship he was. Ships that's carrying like, generally speak, like conservatively five hundred other sailors. Yep. And if it's a transport ship, he'd be in the thousands. So you can't tell me that after a ship takes a fucking torpedo with a flame, you believe you're going to die. You you're convinced you're dead maybe on the verge of drowning and then somehow you end up by climbing onto the top of it and just sitting there in the middle of the fucking channel, not being able to see anything that you, you would be in the right frame of mind to be making logical and reasonable calls. Uh, no, of course he's not in the right frame of mind. So how can you, like, I get not, that you not think empathize. he's an arsehole, but not yeah, empathize. but how can you, yeah. Okay, it's simply because uh, the deal is if you get picked up, you're going to have to go to Dunkirk to get more survivors. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like a it's a bit of a a waste of the um, resource, right? It's like a, you have to go. The the mission is to go get as many people as you can, right? And you find someone along the way. It's like so. Is that a rational? That that's you. Would you agree that what you've just said there is a rational line of thinking? Mm-hmm. And could you then maybe see that he would not be thinking rationally after all that he experienced? Oh, I understand why he would be thinking that. Yeah, but. Um, I don't. I don't think that he was in the right. To, I don't think uh, he was justified in in uh, asking. I think he was um, obviously asking for something that wasn't going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know how to explain this uh, more thoroughly. Like, uh, um, he's going to want something, sure, but 
you know, I, I don't think it would be a smart decision to uh, give in to someone like that and uh, take them back and then start again, right? Given the 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 the, the urgency of getting boats sure, to but the th- then then you're talking about the resolve of the other people on the boat, not mm-hmm. that one soldier who's losing it. Mm-hmm. It's like by the end of it, he kind of snaps out of it a little bit mm-hmm. when he like tries to help pull people into the boat. I think that was smart to um to just uh, lock him into the thing, but they should have made sure that he was uh, uh, locked in. You know, like once you start getting someone like trying to change the the plan, you know, they should have immediately thought, "Well, this guy's a liability. Let's handle him." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, wow. uh, okay. That's, prob- that's probably the Germans taking things. Um, <laughs> I mean, you got to like your objective is to save as many lives as possible. Yeah, right? but we're not talk, we're not talking about the, pe- the the dudes on. They did the right thing by trying to tell him no. We're talking about that individual soldier. Like, what, what's your question? I don't understand so, so, your question. So my my question was: Did you not empathize with the sh- the shell shocked soldier? And he's uh, what do you mean by empathize? Though, do I do I see his frame of mind? Is in the sense Do that I, you can relate to the, the guy's rattled. He doesn't want to go back. And he's trying to stop them from going back because it's death and destruction. So, so my my uh, my take on the situation, my take on your question is by empathise. Um, do you mean do I do I feel sorry or feel bad that I'm taking him back into war and it's going to make him very uncomfortable? Yes, you, you politician. Uh, yes, I, I would I would uh, <laughs> I would. Probably be Machiavellian about it. Um, I don't know. I'm not in the situation, but uh, I probably wouldn't feel so bad. I probably would, to some extent, feel bad. But at the same time, it's like you can't let that feeling get in the way of. You can't let that deter you at all. Agree. Uh, I don't think anyone. Well, again, like being that none of us have been in that situation, and God forbid we will ever been in that situation, lucky enough. But I totally agree with that. That you've got to keep going regardless of how he feels. Mm-hmm. But I think w- where Sam's coming from with this question is, you know, you called the guy an asshole before, mm-hmm. and he's an asshole before he put that uniform on, etc. Mm-hmm. But all I'm saying is that I don't think that's the case. I think that the situation has turned him into that way, and I can totally understand the fact that you ask, you turn into someone mm-hmm. that does become that with that situation. Mm, so I, don't know. The, I don't that's know. That's where my empathy comes in because it's one I'm of those. Saying, it's one of those situations where you don't know until you're in the situation. But I, I, I don't know. True, like uh, I think, I think there's probably been some cases of people being able to rise above, like their situation. And I think that would take an exceptional individual. Mm. Whereas I think this guy is going to represent ninety percent of the military population. Ninety percent of the civilian population out in the world. Today. Hey, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Dave, I don't know. So you yeah. made the point: could, Did the French guy kill that guy to kill that English soldier or not? Do you think that that this, this so, excuse me that this survivor maybe he killed some well, he did some bad things in order to survive? No, no, no. I th- I think his bad things were the way he acted on that boat. Yeah. Mm, after yeah. he got picked up. Yeah. That's what his bad things were. The, the selfishness. The yeah. Yeah. The selfishness and the cowardice and then the lashing out, trying to force his, you know, will onto the boat. But that's and, why that's why he was a good character, right? It, it's like uh Yeah. That that was brilliant to insert a character like that in there because um he's he's selfish because he's been through shit, but but at the same time he's like a uh 
he's he's going to ruin their progress, stop them getting in the way, and it's like that that sort of that that being faced with that situation of uh, having to um, sort of punish someone who's seen the seen the seen how bad it can get. Those those guys driving the boat don't know how bad it could get. Yeah, mm. I, I think that's Agreed. sort of awesome, actually. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like, uh, I like to think that. Um, uh, some a lot of people would uh, would sort of look at the mission and and sort of try and get their emotions out of it by focusing yeah. on the objective. Yeah, I, I don't know. Basic humanity, man. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that that the uh, admiral was it the admiral? I can't remember. At the end, he 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 mm. did that. He said, "No, I'm staying here to get the French out." So, and Tom Hardy's character. Yeah, he was That's that's bravery for you, right? Like yeah. some people are brave, some people aren't. All right, cool. But that's why, actually, and moving on to Tom Hardy, this is a good segue. Yeah. But that's why I think Nolan, when he shot those stories, right, of the admiral and of Tom Hardy. They were pretty singular in focus with the cameras. Yep. So that they were the odd individual that would rise above it. Whereas the mm. rest of the dudes, man, and like you were saying before, Sam, like, oh, it's an old movie trick, make everyone look the same with the soldiers. But like, I, I think in a way they did represent what the what the majority of people would be like. Mm. But then you had like the hero that would stand out, and then you had like the sacrificing leader. What two about different types of? Well, one thing I was going to say was, um, you know, the stretcher guys, like, you thought that they were pretty noble trying to save one guy, right? I don't even know if that guy was alive on the stretcher. No. Um, I can't remember. He's dead. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. But uh, you think that these guys are being noble, but they're obviously just using it to get on the boat, right? Yeah. 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 So, like, there's a whole bunch of, um, there's like this dichotomized uh, presentation of um, bravery and cowardice, or um, not bravery and cowardice, but maybe like, cow- like think of it as a spectrum. Maybe somewhere in the middle, people can be opportunistic to, or be selfish, mm. thinking about themselves. But can I, I? I will say this though. Like in defense of those soldiers, they were in the shit, right? But mm. the guys that had the opportunity to be heroic were a step removed. Like, all right, you had that admiral that came in late, and he's standing on the pier, but he was the dude was obviously well fed. He was well hydrated. He's just come in. He's leading the evacuation. But those guys that had been left on that beach to die, waiting, seeing their mates, being bombed and being, like, fucked up, I think it's, um, uh, like, it is a huge contrast, but I think it's justified. Like, even the Air Force pilots, man, like, those guys, they've just come off the mainland for that one fight. And, yeah, I, again, not to take anything away from them, because, obviously, the characters in that film were, like, ballsy as... Um, and I don't want to take that away, but I'm just saying, like, I, I don't think the, I think the soldiers were justified, not justified, but it was more understandable as to why they were freaking out so much because they had no, you know, they weren't either in a plane with machine guns and had the option of flying home. They weren't, well, you know, the guys on the boat that had the option of turning around. These were dudes that had the enemy at their no back choice. and the water in front of them. But the like thing is, were, it's like, it, it, it's like um, when when you are f- set up with your squad facing the enemy, um, and you're all sort of positioned and stuff. You, you're in some degree of control of the situation. Yeah. These these guys are already rallied, right? And so, uh, well, not rallied, but routed. I mean, but uh, uh, they're they're not even fighting anymore. 
and and a guy in a in a plane is is at least set up to do his job right or do his do what he's meant that's to do that's right yeah 100 percent. Yeah. i mean yeah. they would drop in guard they would drop their rifles those dudes mm. right they're like fuck this man like it's not gonna save me is it mm. all right like, what's cool. he gonna do against a torpedo or a Bomb. Let's yeah. so let's jump into the so the, the third um, aspect of the film uh, is so the air force and it portrays a squadron of Spitfire um, Hurricanes. Uh, so uh, what's it called? What were they called? Um, Supermarine Spitfires, um, basically taking to the air. Uh, and I'm not sure. I think they're going to reach Dunkirk, but it's implied that the where they took off from and where Dunkirk was, they didn't have really a lot of fuel to do much sort of. Um, engaging, so they were had I guess that against them. So my impressions were that maybe to protect, try and fight the beachhead, but not necessarily protect the ships. Is that your interpretation? I mm, know oh, I thought they were there to actually provide cover for the the evacuation, like for the actual ships. Okay, like their destroyers and stuff. Because they were there to cover the destroyers. Uh, they had notorious. I mean, I don't know about the Spitfire, but I I know that the Luftwaffe had. Well, the Messerschmitts had notoriously low um, fuel and could only do like 15 minutes or whatever. Yeah, um, I, I seem to remember that. He made they made a comment about um, so they wanted they didn't want to get high altitude because climbing altitude obviously burnt fuel. So they were kind of making a beeline for Dunkirk. So I don't know. I just got the impression that they were necessarily there, maybe just to to to, to protect the beachhead, but not necessarily conduct a lot of maneuvers because. They engaged the enemy, I think, three times on the way to Dunkirk, and only one makes it to Dunkirk. Mm. That being Tom Hardy, um, the, other, the other two crash. One you don't see here, so he's presumed dead. And the second one crashes and is picked up by the guys, the civilians on the boat. So, I, I thought for me that this was personally my most enjoyable aspect of the story, um, because, as you said, Dave, it was like the typical hero gone off to save the day sort of um, uh, yeah. archetype and um, a bit of facts around this so Nolan actually got uh, World War II planes and res- and they were restored for this and all of them were actually de- were destroyed uh, in the filming <laughs> in the filming wow. in the filming of this so the, the actual flight scenes none of that is CGI that's actually yeah. that's actually done and choreographed choreographed um, with proper pilots, so um, I think the only thing that That's is awesome. maybe CGI is that when Tom Hardy's in the cockpit and you see him in the cockpit, and maybe the 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 surrounding. I'm not sure, but majority of that is all um, real. Those um those uh, uh scenes were really well shot and like I was that's uh, good to know that they were real planes because I was going to say they look bloody bang on to the real thing. Oh, phenomenal! Yeah, they were awesome. Yeah. That was great, man. Tom Hardy was an absolute baller there. And you just knew that whole fuel situation. Like, the second that that fuel gauge was fucked up, you knew he was staying there until he ran out of fuel. Mm. Mm. That was the impression you got of that character. Like, just an absolute baller. And there's a couple of times, so they're they're flying low altitude and then they get jumped by a squad of, um, how do you pronounce that? Mercer Schmidt, Rob? How do you? Mercer Schmidt. Yeah, the Mercer Schmidt. BF uh, 109s, and they um, basically those planes have really they they're like protectors of the bombers, so they can fly a real high altitude, and then they obviously come to a low altitude. But the Spitfire has a greater man- um, maneuverability in low altitude, 
and can perform better low altitude. So um, they get engaged and they, f- they fight the planes off and that's when we lose the first pilot and they get back into formation. And then they come across another bomber who's lining up a minesweeper. I think it was the minesweeper they said in the movie. Mm. And they engage and they lose the second pilot, but he manages to, to he lands the plane in the water, but he escapes. And um, Tom Hardy then has the choice of keep going to Dunkirk because his his fuel gauge got shot out, or or turn back and and try and save the the, the boat from the minesweeper from the bomber. So he turns back and does that again. And I think he shoots down two planes. Either third one or the bomber escapes. I'm not. I can't remember. Uh, oh, something like that. Something like that. And then he then he then he heads to Dunkirk. When he hits Dunkirk, he's actually run out of fuel. And he's pretty much just gliding, and he engages a final plane, and um, takes that plane. I think that's I think that was a Stuka dive bomber. Takes that plane out, and then with the fuel low. Now this is a question I got for you guys. The fuel is running is obviously out, and he's just gliding. He opens up the cockpit, and he's going to jump out, but then he changes his mind. Now, do you think it's because he doesn't want to hurt or risk injury to anyone on the ground? Why does he change his mind and decide to land on the beach? Uh, I actually, I don't think he was going to jump out. I actually genuinely, like, because from what I saw, I, I, at the second he opened it, I thought he was jumping. Mm. Like, he's just going to ditch it. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I think he's just fucking enjoying some fresh air because it's all over. Oh. Like, he knew it was all over. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know if you, yeah, I, I can't see either way. I don't really... I don't really know. Because he makes a couple passes along the beach, and I assume every time he's making a pass, he's losing altitude. Um, yeah. But I, I got the impression that he... Because it kept panning down to seeing his view of the beach, and he, and there's still a lot of soldiers on the beach. So, so I got the impression that he had to... His final sacrifice was to try and jettison the plane away from the people because he didn't want to injure anyone because he, obviously if you crash land right in the middle of the beach, you're going to maybe take out some people. So that's why he went along the coast to try and land, well, to land it, um, knowing that he'd get captured. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that sounds pretty reasonable. That's and it why. sounds like something that his character would have done from what you could from what you could see. Mm. And um, so that, that's and Tom Hardy's probably his storyline. So it goes for the shortest time period, the one hour, but is also yeah. the least screen time as well in the film. But it's the most yeah. action, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I that's probably the one I enjoyed the most. And there's not really a lot to. I don't think there's a lot to say about it. Other no. than he's an absolute baller, and it's like some of the best heroic and iconic shots that you will see. And him standing there with the uh, Spitfire burning, <sighs> like at the end. Like what a like. <clears throat> for some reason, that just reminded me of just Luke Skywalker staring <clears throat> out over like. Um, his homestead after it's been white, like that sunset, mm. you know, when you've got, he's standing at his homestead with the sunset looking out to the future. Um, mm. Tatooine, the twin sons. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. That was, I was actually, that, my next point would be that the imagery of that burnt spitfire, like just, just, I don't know, the metaphor that the spitfire was his rage and it's just from flames and it's coming, <laughs> it was coming to get Germany. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I wonder no. why, yeah, I wonder why, uh, that's a good question. I wonder why he didn't bail out, you know? So, do you reckon? Well, because that's what I mean. He could have just turned back and headed back out to the ocean and bailed, and he would have been picked up. 
you reckon he wanted to land it so he could burn it so that it didn't fall in the wrong hands or something? That too. I mean, nah, he... no one, no one was recovering planes, man. In that time, not from the ocean. They already did know. The channel, um, sorry. They already did know all about them anyway. So the weaknesses of yeah. them and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I got the impression that he didn't want to risk any British lives from injury from the the plane crash landing because he could have he could have just pointed it over the ocean you know what I mean? well that's what i mean so but he probably thought well there's boats coming in whatnot it's too risky i'm going to try and land this on nah, the boat. you know what though he actually he may have actually been already too low the altitude may have been too low yeah for him to ditch like there is a minimum mm. distance right before the chute comes out because he stayed in it actually hang on this is what i think because he kept going down and he was still defending that beach until yep. he couldn't jump out is what that's, I reckon. That's probably I a actually, good point. Yeah, probably, uh, yeah, probably yeah. something to it. Yeah, because so, he kept he kept doing runs and defending it, right? Because that's how we, we see him shoot down that last one. And I think he just kept going, like he was. He just kept doing runs until he ran out of altitude altogether. But then, but so you're saying that you you, you can get too low to ditch. Yep. Um, yeah, because the chute won't open. Oh no! I understand that, but I mean, in terms of the ocean, he could have he could have just crashed the plane in the ocean. But why did he choose to land? No, because he could. That's a pretty risky move. And what I'm saying is, is that he was providing air coverage right up until the last second, as in he went below the the floor. Yeah, he just kept, he just stayed in it and just stayed in below, and mm. then just f- said, "Fuck it, I'll just land it anyway." Mm. And then he just burnt the plane. Mm. Loved it. Fucking loved it. And um, yeah, that no, was definitely filmed. Yeah, that that imagery of, and then they had the Churchill speech about we shall never surrender, we shall fight on the beaches, and you just see that Spitfire burning. Oh, God. I'm not even English. I got I got a boner. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what did you guys think of the? Um, so Rob, uh, earlier on we were talking about how Nolan's really good at capturing scope and imagery, and mm. I thought one of the best looking pieces of the film was Dunkirk at night, and it was just. You can't really see the sit the, or the town as such, but you just see fire and it's just mm. bright and it looks like oh shit, this looks like literally looks like hell. I thought that, yeah, was, yeah. that was one of my favorite images as well. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Oh, I thought the movie was really well done. There was a lot mm. of good scenes. I want that's why I want to watch it again to see it all, process it all again. All right, cool. So, oh, actually, yeah, something I uh, I know we didn't get a chance to talk about it, and I won't go into too much, but. Something that I'm really glad that I saw this film is watching it in the 70 mil mm. uh, screening. Yep, celluloid 70 mil because it added a, a texture of the of watching it in actual film mm-hmm. that um, was very nostalgic for me watching like old films. Yep, mm. like in a cinema, but it was sick. It added so much to it. So it'd be interesting for me to see a digital version mm. of it in the cinema. But yeah, if you guys do ever get a chance, or if someone's showing a 70 mil version go to it because it, it was pretty sick it added like a real like texture to the shots like a bit of a shimmer on the uh, on the on the monocoque of those uh, those planes <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was dude, i it was it was awesome man just the like just the texture of the film like it really did i think it added to it, it um awesome. yeah awesome. he's nolan recommends seeing it in 70 um but the thing i don't think many uh well i know la doesn't have doesn't have a lot of theaters that do that sort of thing so but yeah, oh, it's unlucky, mate. Yeah, it is, mate. It is. All right, <laughs> cool. Um, does anyone, do you guys have any gripes or any little things you didn't like with the film? Uh, I've already said mine. Yeah. I said them earlier. No, I liked. I liked it. 
Yeah. Uh, for me, this is... Uh, my, only, my only gripe is that there's a certain sort of, I don't know, satisfaction you get when you see the enemy get killed. And we were kind of... <laughs> the, only, the, only, the only satisfaction we got was when those German planes were got shot down. Because, like, oh, yeah, he killed some baddies. You know what I mean? So it's not like Saving Private Ryan where you, you see a sniper take out another sniper. In a, in a... Did, you, did you feel the same in... Um... Uh, what was that? Generation War. Which one? You know, where the uh, the Germans, poor German soldiers, getting shot at by the uh, Russians. Did you Did you feel the same? <laughs> yeah, I did actually. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, um. So I, I, that's my only small gripe. But I mean, as you said, that wasn't really the focus. As we said, that wasn't really the focus of the film. All right. So in terms of, um, I guess, war films, would, how did this sit? In in your like all time favorite list. So I guess Dave, what would you what would be your your top three war films and, and would this maybe get a place in it? Well, uh, yeah, I think it does. It's instantly a top five. Uh, where it sits there, it's hard because for me, my favorite war films are probably um, are mostly Vietnam based. So my number one war film is Platoon. Yep. Um, that stands out there as the the number one. Um, I think, and this is probably going to be a bit corny, obviously being Australian, but I actually think Gallipoli is a pretty awesome film. Yeah, Gallipoli's um, good. I, yeah, so I I think that's actually probably the number two. Do I think it's as good as Gallipoli and Platoon? Well, I think it has elements of both. So from the cinematics and everything, like it definitely does have the scope of the great war um yeah but i don't know so it's in the top five because then you've got things like hamburger hill which is a, a pretty brutal war film which is up there as well so i don't know sambo I, I yeah maybe three or four it's, it's definitely up there but i don't think it's better than gallipoli or platoon Ooh. which would have to be my two Ooh. I, I think it's better than saving private ryan though Ooh. actually I, I will say that I think it's Ooh, that's a tough. That's a, that's a. That's a. You've just snuck that one in, haven't you? Well, that's right. a. <laughs> All right, Rob. Right. That's true. What's, I, what's your top? It three? is, man. It is. Hmm. Uh, I'd say platoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I, I don't really know after that. There's so many, so many good options. Um, like I, I was gonna say, uh, the second one was um, uh, the down, downfall. Yep. Um, that's a good one. Can I can I nominate series in this or just movies? Uh, Straight well, up movies. I, I, yeah, Brand of Brothers is probably the best depiction of war. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's like th- those Generation War and Band of Brothers. I'd I'd, I'd watch over those mm-hmm. other ones to um, be honest. But um, uh, <laughs> remember when I gave you that DVD? Was it uh, Iron of Cross of Iron about the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the German nah. perspective of uh... just Herr Steiner? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not uh, that's not my top ten. Nah. That's a pretty. It's a, that's a pretty uh, stock standard seventies uh, action. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, well, well, do, would you consider something like Schindler's List a war movie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon I that's number three for me. That's an epic movie. Mm. I okay. So my top. I I I this is probably my favorite genre. Um. So, I I kind of am a sucker for all these movies. So, I'd say my my favorite movie is still probably Saving Private Run. Mm-hmm. Um. Just because. Those uh, those action sequences, um, they're probably the are just so memorable, and the film's narrative overall is a good story as well. 
Um, you know, so that this man had had a, had a squad risks, um, you know, give their lives for him, and at the end he's like, "Tell me, I w- I'm a good person, and I, and I did right," sort of thing. So there's that. Um, my probably second favorite, I would say, is Apocalypse Now, not the Redux, because that fucking that just goes off the rails and goes for too long. But that's probably still my that's my <laughs> second favorite. And then Full Metal Jacket, probably my third. So we're mm. the namesake of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And then I'd say Inglorious Bastards because we get to see some gratuitous violence against Nazis, which is I'm, I'm all about. And then yeah, but now, now you're just naming no, films, no, man. Now you're just going through the list of like every top ten war film list on and the then internet. My, pretty my much. fifth favorite, it would be this film. But I think if I give this film a bit more time to breathe, and when I do buy it on Blu-ray and watch it a thousand times over, I've got a feeling that that this film will probably maybe get close to Saving Private Ryan. See, I think the thing is, though, they all cover different things. Mm. So, like, Apocalypse Now is, like, the Vietnam War films have to have their own category compared to, like, mm. the Great War, uh, films, like, uh, World War Two and yeah, stuff. Uh, like, it's just... I know, yeah, okay. You can't, you can't compare them because, like, That's I... Why I was struggling as well, not, to be honest. Well, not, not to compare, but, I mean, in just, like, war... Okay, so I wouldn't go... I'm not the type that go down to sub-genres, but I'd say war films. That's a pretty big genre. And predominantly... Yeah. The macro themes, like the high level themes, are pretty consistent among war films, right? Well, I mean, well, you know, could I could I put uh, could I put the Last Samurai in there? Uh, yeah, I would say that's more um, of uh, sort of like. Um, did you did you cringe at that question, uh, Dave? I did, yeah, hundred yeah, yeah. so, so, percent. You know what I mean? You know what well, I mean? Maybe I wouldn't put Gladiator maybe and I wouldn't put Braveheart because they're not, they're not, they're like, they're not sort of the same category. I'm talking but, war. Modern what about war Glory? What about Glory? Yeah, you could. That's a war film. That's that's very much a war film. Yeah, it's probably better to ask what's your favorite World War Two films. Mm, okay. To be honest. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, then it would be Saving Private Ryan, Inglorious Bastards, and then this. Mm. Okay, so you actually put Inglorious Bastards above this. Well, because I've only seen this once, so I want to see this a couple more times. All right. Well, I can I can comfortably say that <laughs> see, <laughs> seeing this, seeing both those films for the first time, I felt uh, I it, Dunkirk had a bigger impact on me the first time I saw it than what Inglorious Bastards did. Uh, okay. Inglorious uh, Bastards was like a pure pop uh, popcorn flick. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm I, just I do surprised, have... Sam, that you say that. I have an issue with uh, *Glorious Bastards*, uh, whereas I don't really take much issue with this this movie. Like the whole um, *Glorious Bastards*, uh, like making up of some history is a bit sort of you yeah, know annoying, it's... right? No, well, okay, yeah, it is. I see. I think is I like the um, sort of the, the the cheesy Italian movies that it's based on. So it's the th- it's more about the character portrayals in *Glorious Bastards* that I like than the movie itself. So um, mm. the Jew hunter, what's his name, Christopher Waltz's character. Mm. He's he's a pure psychopath, and that opening farm sequence was ama- like that was really generally one of the What's best uh, the best things I've ever seen. Colonel uh, Hans, yeah, Hans, Hans Lander, Hans, Lander, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was that opening farm sequence was intense, and it was, uh, it was up there in terms of the same part as the well, intensity that this film brought. From that from that movie alone, I I, I put. Uh, Christoph Waltz is one of the best actors I've ever seen. I would oh, say from that movie, that's what I'm saying. Uh, he's, he's slipping in and out of, um, I mean, not in and out of character, but like you know, he's he's sort of acting in the movie as well, right? Like him slipping in and out of that acting in the movie and uh, spe- speaking so many different languages. 
so much talent. Oh, that's I know. yeah. But I, I just. <sighs> but okay, well, these things are subjective, and I, that's you know. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, hundred percent true. I, I'm just surprised, Sam. But I'm not surprised with Saving Private Ryan, and I can see a pretty strong argument for that film. And I, it's a film that I like, and I had seen a couple of times. I went to, and I did rate highly. I still rate as a, a pretty highly, but I'm just Inglorious Bastards. Whilst there may be scenes that were pretty high caliber and some pretty good acting, I just <clears throat> as a film in totality, I'm really surprised that you would put that above this. Well, as far as like a depiction, like as far as a war film, but, to me that, that yeah, I, no, I, you know, well, I, it's your opinion, Mark. Well, You're entitled to it, I guess. Okay, <laughs> it's a free country, man. Like <laughs> the thing is, right. Okay, I, I would say that um, the Inglorious Bastards is almost uh, a, a dark comedy satire parody. I don't know, but the ending of the film definitely is uh, <laughs> probably yeah. It's it's all made up and it is fiction, right? But I just I don't know. When you saw that the first time and saw this the first time, I very much enjoyed both pictures. But at the same time, I'm not sure how much I'm, one I'm going to go back. I will watch this undoubtedly, but I'm not sure if this is a film that I can just pop on and unwind to, like I can within Glorious nah, Bastards. I, it's not, but that's a different. When, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like in Glorious Bastards, it's a better popcorn flick. Mm. But as I, far as a caliber of a film goes, like I, yeah, I, I, I take it. I take umbrage. Like I don't I'm think saying, I, as far as yeah. I can't. I can't really um, unwind to uh, Sam and Private Ryan though as well because that's a pretty heavy mm. movie as well. Maybe right? just desensitised to it. I don't know, but I, I just think, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. I just think that um that that, that okay. Uh, this is definitely I say and I said before you got uh, got my ass about oh you can't include Vietnam films. I said that this had the potential to to take over Saving Private Ryan. So I clearly have a high regard for this movie to the extent where I think this can become my favourite movie. Because I've only seen this once, um, I, I would be reluctant to put it as my number one all-time favourite World War II movie. I, I just think, all right, well, let me see a couple more times. and uh, and That's fair. And, 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 and that's it's stupid to ask that of people as well, though, to say your all-time favourite. Like, if you enjoy cinema, you're always going to be grappling with, you know... Yeah, I, I don't... Shit. I don't really want to rate movies like that, to be honest. I just want to sort of say whether give it a get a give it a rank. Oh. Like, oh, when sorry, I say guys, rate, I mean uh, rank. Oh. Like, I don't want to really rank. Uh, what's the best? What What does it displace? All that sort of stuff, you know. No, but not it's rank. I give it perspective. Like, you can say it's a good film, but is it, does it is it top ten worthy? Well, then that gives a perspective that is probably disposable, right? So that's why the whole point of lists. All right. So I think we all agree that well, from what you guys have said, this is probably a, a, a this is. Definitely a top five as far as World War Two film goes, and it it's pr- could be for most of us a top five war film. Like if we're going to go back as quality okay. films. Okay. Like- uh, l- let me ask you this, Sambo. Yeah. Man. Um, you rewatched Dunkirk, right? Yep. Option one, option two, Enemy at the Gates that you haven't seen probably for a while. Which do you choose? Oh, see, I liked Enemy at the Gates too, and people shit on Enemy at the Gates. So good. And people shit on that movie all the time. But I really like that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> Why do people shit on it? Uh, I've never heard anyone shit on right, it. Because of the romance, um, and the it's a kind of bit cheese with like the they play up a few things, and they got that romantic element of the love triangle, which is a bit. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. And then plus, like, it's not really factually correct. 
So um, there's a like people get a bug up their ass about things not being factually correct. Yeah, but neither is Inglorious Bastards. So no. why does that get a pass? <laughs> but not for me though. Not, I'm not. I'm saying people, Dave. But that, but yeah, I know, I know, I know. So I, yeah, I would cool. say, uh, God, that's such a good movie, Animated Gates. Comrade Commissar. Ed Harris is so good. Fuck. Oh yeah, yeah. He is good. He's eh? legit. He's he legitimate. Is. I don't know. Stuff on man. He played that. He played that role way too well. Like, you have to sort of check what is uh, what he's into. You know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> mm. yeah. uh, okay. So we can all agree. I think the only thing that really concerns me with this film is that well, I you, you'd get like in Glorious Bastards, you kind of get you know the beats. So you, you the second viewing, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be obviously as good as the first. So. Um, all right, cool. Let's maybe move on finally to our last discussion point. Do you okay? So, do you think Nolan is the best director going around? Uh, well, <laughs> today he's. Uh, the best I think he's making out. He, he's coming out to be one of the best. I would say he's definitely going to be a uh, when he's end of his career, probably seen as one of the greats. All right, well, let's, I would say in terms of the scope of films he does, um, uh, if you put the Dark Knight trilogy aside, um, I guess he was in a contract with Warner Brothers and he kind of was obligated to maybe do three Batman films. His films are one, like kind of like Spielberg in his early career, they were all vastly different sort of themes and, and, and different sort of genres. Mm. And um, I think I think the... The, the the benchmark of a good director is that you know that going in um, you're going to get a quality sort of movie and one that has like a high sort of emphasis on production values so he films in IMAX he does real real stunts he goes and gets the planes he goes in uh, you know all that sort of stuff to, to, he puts it all into the movie so yeah but I, if you have a look at his um filmography like, what do you? I just want to like, like if you think to his films, right? Yep. I, as far as his early ones go, like Memento was a great movie, mm. right? I I remember Insomnia vaguely. Um, it, I didn't really think it was that great from memory. Oh, that I was, think that was, was the, quite that was the Al Pacino and Robert Williams. I like that. I thought that was fun. It was a good yeah, I thought it was okay, yeah. but like Memento was actually really good, though. Yeah, it was. Like actually, that was a really good film. I never saw the Prestige, but apparently that was quite good. Yeah, and is good. Inception. Everyone, uh, like, I get one person that hates the fuck. And I mean, Interstellar, I thought was super ambitious. Like, I actually think like his Batman films are probably more of the standouts in his. Uh, like repertoire, man. Ooh. Like Memento, and then this. Ooh. Like I, I don't think Interstellar was a better film than Dunkirk or two out of the three Batman's he did. Okay. And I don't know if people would agree if Inception was better as well. So if you're saying is he, so are you, are you trying to ask is if he is like the director of our time? Is he going to be the next Spielberg type thing for our generation? Mm. Yeah, I don't know if I'm sold yet. Like yeah. he does have good films, and he has oh, okay he? films. Uh, he's in his forties, I think. Um, but you see, you didn't like Interstellar. Uh, Nineteen seven. You didn't. You didn't like Interstellar, Dave. Dave. 
Hello? Hello? Oh, I think we've lost Dave, Rob. Mm. Alright, what I'll just, I'll just hang up and I'll add him back. Sorry, right, I can... I can uh... Oh, he's gone offline. Why has he gone offline for? Fucking Sydney internet, mate. <laughs> he's back online. Alright, I'll enter his group. Yes. Sorry, guys. It just dropped out. Um. Okay. Okay. So, give me one sec. Just give us three seconds, and I'll ask you a question, Dave. Yep. So you didn't like Interstellar, Dave? No, I, I'm a massive uh, science nerd. So mm. I actually did. I enjoyed aspects of Interstellar very much, but I thought, on the whole, uh, I didn't really like. It was just. An, it was an okay film. Like I thought, he just missed more than he hit with it. Um. Look, I thought look, I, okay, I, let, let, let's put it this way, man. Like, if you want to talk about best directors now as well, like, would you think that he, like, are we going to put him in the category of, like, the Scorsese's? Or, you know what I mean? Like, is he up there? Right. Is that where you're thinking well, he's I, after this film? I, was, I would actually argue that Scorsese has maybe four films that, are worthy, and the rest are kind of trash. What about Ridley mm. Scott? Uh, Ridley Wait, that's a uh, that's that's a uh, that's a pretty uh, massive. Uh, which which one do you think would be the four good movies? Okay, then? so Taxi Driver. Yep. Yeah. Raging Bull. Yep. Goodfellas. Yep. You you already don't have enough options now to to nominate his other fantastic movies. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Goodfellas. Yep. And The Departed. Oh, okay. So The Departed's in there. Yep. I, I, Casino is a rehash of Goodfellas. Um, oh, okay. It's a good film, but I, I don't know. It's I, I, I've, yeah. I, Wait, what I, about... I didn't, I didn't like Gangs of New York just quietly. Yeah, that was mediocre. I thought that was mediocre. <laughs> the Aviator, that was okay. I've seen, I've watched it once, never touched it again. Um, uh, what is that? Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, uh yeah, that was. Yeah, that was it's just, okay. That, that was that great. Yeah, I didn't really like it that much. The latest one, Silence, uh, when it, about the priests in Japan, it was. Uh, it's me. It didn't get good great reviews. All right, so uh, fair call. Then. Mean Streets so, is his first sort of gangster film, and that was okay. He came out in the seventies, and that was it was entertaining. But he, it's what about the Last Temptations of Christ with the with the what's his name in the it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, see, that's what I mean. I so that. <laughs> I think he's made four right. genuine masterpiece masterpiece films, um, I but, but I, that's they're all in very kind of mid career, early career. But his latest works aren't that great. Do you like Kate what about Fear? Oliver Stone? Oliver Stone, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not really that big a fan of Oliver Stone, so I like um, a couple of his movies, but not really his whole catalog. So I like really? Platoon, um, yeah, uh, Fourth of July. That's a good fun. Um, uh, what else? Um, Do you like uh, Natural Born Killers? No. Wall Street was a great Sorry. film. Uh, Wall Street, to Dave's uh, question, and Rob, no, I actually hated Natural Born Killers. Yeah, I start, I tried watching that the other day on the plane. I couldn't. Makes me nauseous it. that film. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think I think Oliver Stone. I actually like his um. Uh, he does a lot of uh, well, he did a documentary, Untold Stories of the U.S., which I really enjoyed, and I think he has some great. Um, like JFK was a bit shit. 
to be honest. And um, the one with the doors as well, I fucking found that to be oh, yeah. Uh, so hang on. So I guess from what you've said, like we've already named some big big shots, mm-hmm. right? And they the, the number to get up there seems to be four okay. great yeah. films. Right? True. So do you think Nolan has the four to compete with the directors we've okay. named? Good point. Okay. Well, okay, if you say the four, you can say Spielberg's clearly got more than four, right? So agree. Yep. Yeah. But he we all know he's at the top. So we know it's Spielberg's probably four to six. You got Scorsese Stone, which are an easy four each, and then a questionable five, depending on who you talk to. Yep. I.e. Cape Fear with Scorsese or whatever. But does, um, do, you, do you include um, franchises or would you just say Batman or do you mean all... No, for, do, films. Do, films. Fourth films. Films by themselves. Yeah, and so you can say the three Batman if you genuinely believe mm-hmm. that. I just mm-hmm. don't think all three Batman were, could really be included. Mm-hmm. But you, like you look, at, you look at Nolan's... So as of today, I don't think so mm-hmm. because I think his... Like, I think Memento was a genuinely great film and mm-hmm. maybe a little bit underappreciated by a few people. I think Dunkirk is obviously up there. And I just think, uh, I don't know, the rest of the films have got great aspects to them, but they're not quite there as him being at the level of Stone Scorsese mm. Spielberg. Okay. He's pretty close, though, I would say. Yeah, like, give him, if you give yeah he's him close. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I agree Spielberg, with that. I'm just looking at Spielberg's movies, and uh, he's miles ahead, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's miles ahead. And he's I don't want to sound movies. like I'm shitting on the career of Scorsese, because Scorsese is a very good and very excellent filmmaker. Same with mm. Oliver Stone. Like, their hits us like surpass everybody else's hits. So when they make it a good... Well, their best is better than everybody, if that makes sense. But what I'm trying to say is that um, if you look over the, long, the life of their careers, Spielberg's probably the one that's had the longest and most sustained success. So, mm. and I've... T- okay. Uh, I finish, you know let me where finish my point. Let me finish my point. Yeah, yeah. And, sorry, sorry. And, and I think in Nolan, he's only, four, he's only 46. He does take about three to four years to make a film. But I think if you, his trajectory will be similar to that of Spielberg's in that he's going to make more hits than misses. He he can't overtake Spielberg though. I think he's too far behind. Mm, potentially, but, but he, he you also know where writes. I think his, he also writes his own movies as well. So he's had a hand in each one of his screenplays. So that's another thing. Mm. Which is nothing that Spielberg obviously would. You know, that's another string to his bow. What'd you All say, right. Dave? Oh, no, I was going to say, I actually think a good uh, place for him when we compare those older directors and where they're all finishing up their careers is I actually think he's, at the moment, he's on par, if not slightly ahead of Ridley Scott. Because if you look at the types of films they've both made, you look at the ones that have been hits versus the ones that have been kind of mediocre, I think they're kind of both... They've both done franchises, and I think the Alien... Uh, the Batman franchise is on average better than Scott's Alien franchise. He only had one hit, which was Alien. Um, you know, he had... What do you have? He had, like, Alien, Blade Runner. Um, Blade Runner wasn't a hit, though. Gladiator. Well, Blade Runner wasn't a hit, sorry. But as far as, I guess, I, I can't see any... Memento would be the equivalent of Blade Runner because Memento got cult acclaim, I think, after. Cult. It was cult. Cult fit following. Yeah. So you see, like, I, I think there's... 
I, I actually reckon I'd put him on the level of Ridley Scott at mm. the moment. Nah, see, and I, I think he's going to overtake him very shortly. Yeah, I, I'd argue Ridley Scott is an inferior maker, filmmaker. I think Ridley Scott, um, for one, doesn't write his films, and for two, his he was a visionary. But if you look at, I think he is an excellent director for hire, and. I, I truly believe that he's had more misses than he's had hits. I don't know, man. Like he's got a he's got a lot of good, solid films, which is where I, I don't know if Nolan has the same number. Like White Squall was actually a pretty solid movie as far as the movie goes. You know, he get um, Black Hawk Down was a pretty solid just film. Mm. Like it wasn't brilliant or like crazy awesome or anything, but it was a solid fucking just a good solid film. Right. Well, that's what um, I'm saying. He's, he's American Gangster was a solid film too. Mm-hmm. Like he he doesn't, you know. I, I don't think it's like you were getting. Like if you look at the comparison, I think Ridley Scott has currently more solid films. And okay, by sheer volume, that's also the case as well. So he's had a lot more bites of the cherry, but he's also got like uh, forty years of life or thirty-five years of life on Nolan. So. <laughs> that's where I think time will tell. But that's what I'm saying, Sam. Like I think Nolan, as of right now, is in the Ridley Scott probably stage of well, the career, right? Ridley Scott. I mean, for me, Ridley Scott's probably got two iconic films, um, maybe three in um, Alien, uh, Gladiator, because he literally brought back a genre that had died. Um, and um, I guess the third would have to be... Probably like Blade Runner, but I mean, he, the dude did G.I. Jane for fuck's sakes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and Kingdom of Heaven and fucking, what was that other one? That Black shit? Rain, man. The Counselor. Black Rain was a oh. fucking sick film. Black Rain was good. 2013, The Counselor. <laughs> that was so terrible. Yeah, so. I think I think that like, uh, for, if you compared the list of both their movies, I'd say that um, uh, Nolan's movies gravitate more towards the top upper rankings than, than Ridley Scott for me. I'd probably, if I did have to rank them, I'd probably rank Nolan's higher than uh, the, the Scott movies. Yeah. Uh, except for, say, Gladiator and Alien and Blade Runner and... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, are they both... Either, they're both... They're Dave, you do, he did do a good comparison because they both had um, a masters of imagery, so they set up good... Um, images in the film so like black rain has some wicked scenes where they just looked good and nolan it does a lot of that um same Mm -hmm. with alien and blade runner so that they know how to compose a shot beautifully but i think nolan is the superior filmmaker slash storyteller because one he writes his own stuff and two um i think overall the quality of his work he seems to have a higher bar than ridley yeah well that's what i'm saying like i okay so you're probably saying he's already above him, yes, but I'm just yeah, saying yes. I think, he, yeah, I, I think he's kind of pegged to Ridley Scott now. Yeah. But the point is, is that he's at where Ridley Scott is at, at, at pretty much well coming to the peak of his career. So he's only going to get better. So I yeah. 100% agree that he will end his career way better than Ridley Scott. But whether he ever gets to the Scorsese level and the Stones and those dudes and Spielbergs, I'm not quite sure. But he's going to beat the James Camerons, the Ridley Scotts, mm. like those dudes. Uh, he's already there, and I think he, he's okay. going to surpass them with his next couple of films. Cameron's got such good movies. Yeah, Cameron's got some good movies there too. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, we, could go on, we could go about forever, though. All right, so um, 
that's that's pretty much the, the pod for this week, listeners. Guys, thanks for listening to us. Um, it's been a long one, but we you can tell the, the the longer the pod episodes are, the more we enjoy the film. That's kind of the metric. You can follow us on Twitter at fmmrpod. Uh, we're on SoundCloud. That's how you get these things. Until next week, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Dave. See you guys.